This is The Playbook. We have a new best friend. We had a chance to talk before The Playbook. Mauro Porcini, he's the chief design officer with great taste and the senior vice president of a tiny little company called PepsiCo. Welcome to The Playbook, Mauro. Thank you, David, for having me. And hi, everybody listening <laughs> to us right now. This is so good. Well, you know, five years ago, we have a mutual friend. I think you're friends with Gary Vaynerchuk, or you guys do uh, work with VaynerMedia. And Gary, I had a radio show. I've been a sports guy my whole life. So I had a big radio show syndicated by Gal Media. And Gary tells me about five and a half years ago at Super Bowl, he says, David, you need a podcast. And at that time, I told him, Dude, there's so many podcasts. Why would I do a podcast? I'm way too late. You're you're the king of podcasts. I could never do a podcast. And here I am over 1,200 episodes later uh, with just great things happening around having a podcast. Before I tell people about your shoes with Mauro Porcini, uh, I want to ask you an important question because five years ago, if I said, hey, Mauro, you need to start a podcast, what would you have said to me? <laughs> But look, I, I grew up, and this is really the education that my parents gave me, with the idea that if you want to do something, you just do it and you do it for yourself. It's your passion. It's what you love to do. I love to communicate. I love to share and storytell. My parents, you know, my mother loves to write. My father loves to draw. And they've been self-publishing eight books in all these years online, and they don't care about selling a copy. They just do it for themselves. And this is what I witnessed since I was a child. And this is what I've been doing all my life. So my main goal with a podcast, with a book, and with all these things that I do is to share. Then if somebody receives it, great. If they don't, I love the idea of sharing just by itself. And by the way, in general, in anything we do, if you have the love for what you do and the passion, usually, you know, something positive happens. And, and, and it's so important to have that drive. But even if it doesn't, you're going to be happy anyway. And that's, isn't it the ultimate goal that we have in life? Happiness. It is my mission in life to empower over a billion people to be happy. So you're in the right place at the perfect time. But I love the fact that we do things for our own essence. And, you know, I tell people all the time, money follows. You, you know, when you're chasing a podcast to make money, you'll never make money. But money follows the passion and the purpose. Uh, now, I love the idea of what's it's like in your shoes. Uh, Gary and I are both a lot about empathy uh, and empathy carries that ability not only to understand where someone's coming from, but understand what someone's feeling. And I think that really is the essence of understanding what it's like in your shoes. For you, what type of ideas or feelings are you looking for when you have this podcast to find out what other people's spirits are like, their essence? But look, in general, I explore all the different kinds of mindset and feelings and behaviors that drives people to innovate. And innovation could be applied to anything, to your job, but also to your life, to anything you do in life is essentially moving something, whatever it is, from a specific status to a different kind of status, Idea, ideally a better kind of status. And so I investigate all these feelings and, and some 
are more obvious than others. Uh, if you think about the ability to dream and think big and have visions, but also the ability to balance that with pragmatism, with uh, that, that ability to make things happen. Uh, so th this is something that is pretty obvious when you talk about innovators. But then there are other traits or the characteristics that are less obvious. For instance, the power of kindness to drive uh, innovation, the power of optimism, the power of curiosity. And, and yes, you know, in podcasts or in books, you hear a little bit about this. Actually, more recently, you know, we, we are starting to hear more and more about this. In the past, not that much. But the reality is that when you are in a business meeting, when you are in a boardroom, when you are within the company, when you talk about innovation, the most of the time people talk about the processes and the tools and the ways of working. And very rarely when something works or doesn't work, people are like, well, that's because of the curiosity of the person that I put there, because of the optimism of that person. How many times you have a CEO or a business leader that is asking his people uh, when or her people, when hiring a new talent, is this person curious? Is this person an optimistic person? Is this person a kind or respectful person or does he does he or she has empathy? Uh, you know, so there are so many skills that make the difference and we don't talk enough about this. So by the way, going back to your questions or, uh, question earlier, the more podcasts that are out there that talk about this kind of topics, even if they're listened by 10 people, the better. <laughs> I, I, thank you. And I agree completely. Now, one of the reconciliations that's interesting, and I come from a big corporate background myself, working as CEO of Samsung, running the most notable sports agency, uh, is our ability to fit in and get the support of a large corporation. Now, you work for one of the biggest companies in the world, most recognizable company in the world, and yet you are an innovator, you're a co-creator, you are truly an inspired person. How have you been able to fit in within the context of a corporate culture to be so creative, so innovative, and so inspired. Is there ever any resistance or, or fe negative feedback from the corporate culture? Look, every time you try to change something, you will get resistance, roadblocks. It's part of human nature. It's not part of company natures. Companies are built by humans, and humans, by definition, our brain is wired in this way by mother nature or by God, whatever you believe in, uh, we are resistant to change. It's part of the Maslow pyramid, it's part of our need of protection and safety. We don't want to change the status quo, but we live in the paradox that if we do not change, then nature will keep going on with its inertia but we will disappear and people that flex and change will survive in the full ecosystem of the universe. And this applies also to companies. Companies, you know, in the ideal world, you have a product, it works, and you extract as much financial value out of the product by driving productivity and efficiency. Any change you have on the product is inefficient by definition. It implies a cost and a risk. And so companies don't like that, but they know companies, investors, and shareholders that you you need change. So somehow they love the change makers, but then they reject them because of the nature of the organism and the entity and the human beings. And so uh, it's important, I think, for any change agent and innovator to understand that this is a journey. You know, early on, before PepsiCo, I defined this journey 
when I was still at 3M, looking back and what works and what didn't through five different phases, five steps. The first one is denial. You try to change things and the company just doesn't get it. And it happens all the time at the beginning. But then sooner or later, somebody, usually it needs to be a leader, a senior leader, a CEO or somebody at the top, because this person needs to have enough power to make things happen. Somebody realized that you need the change and introduce the change factor. It could be like it happened to me, a human being, a person, a designer to try to, to insert that new culture. In my case, it was the culture of design. And so here I am. I try to... You know, when I was at 3M, I took my luggage, I go to Minnesota and I start to meet all these leaders from R&D, from marketing. And, and all these meetings go very well. I'm like, wow, you know, it, it's so easy, amazing. So I go to my exactly sponsor, the EVP of the consumer business. His name is Monozari. And I remember I told Mo, Mo, it's great. You know, everybody understand what we're trying to push. It's going to be much easier than what we're thinking. And Mo, there was always a very serious person. He looks at me more serious than ever. And he says, everybody's lying to you. I'm like, Mo, no, it's impossible. You were not there. I have great empathy. I'm Italian. You know, I love people. I understand people. I didn't tell him this, but I was thinking that. Mo, you don't get it. You were not there. I was. And then Mo keeps looking at me and he's like, I'm telling you that they're all lying to you. And then he goes on with an analogy to explain what he was talking about. He says, imagine you are in an art gallery and you see a beautiful painting in front of you. And there are many other paintings, but there is one that you really love and you have full, the, your pockets full of money. What do you do? You buy the painting, of course. Well, Mauro, you and design, you are one of the paintings in the art gallery of 3M and nobody's buying you. And they have plenty of money because I gave them the money. I gave them the budget and I know that they're investing the money in the next HR project, in the next plant, but not in design. That was for me a big aha moment. I understood that I was facing what I later called the hidden rejection phase. When people pretend that they love you, but they don't. And they pretend that they love you for multiple reasons. Maybe because they don't want to disappoint this guy full of hope. Or maybe because they know you're protected by a sponsor. And so they are against you, but they don't tell you in your face. For many reasons, people are not in their comfort zone in giving negative feedback. So you believe you're getting traction and you don't. This is the most dangerous phase when you try to change culture because it makes you lose months or years. And when you realize it may be too late because these companies are not patient. But that's when you look for, and this is what happened when I moved to PepsiCo, I, you know, I had a full clear playbook to do that. You look for what I call the co-conspirators, people that want to drive the change. Usually they're one out of 10. If you want, I can tell you why I came up with this stat, but they're one out of 10, 10% of the people. And you find them and you start to land the proof points. This phase is what I call the occasional leap of faith. The more proof points you start to have, the more people will come to you and will try to do more. When you start to have a critical mass of proof points, the company's like, yes, I get it. I need to scale it up you move to what I call the quest for confidence, when you need to build emotional confidence in the organization that that thing is worth the risk that you're taking now at that scale. You need tools, you need ways of working, you need processes, but you also need to protect the vision and the dream that made possible the occasional leap of faith phase, the startup kind of phase. If you succeed, then your new culture is part of the DNA of the company and you move to the holistic awareness phase.
It's amazing. And it's all people oriented. And I was forced to study history. And as I talked, traveling the world was one of those experiences of understanding history. And what I've learned about history is I learned human nature. And one thing about human nature is it never changes. And when you have experts, empathetic experts like yourself, to understand that human nature. It also led me to one of my favorite sayings about change, which is there's only one type of person that loves change, and that's a wet baby. A wet baby is the only human in history <laughs> uh, to love change immediately. And so uh, I, I take that in. Now, your upcoming book that's going to come out in November is also human-centric. It's the human side of innovation. A lot of people take the technology side, the mathematics side, the physics, quantum physics, and metaphysical side of innovation. Uh, I personally adhere to the human side as well, because there is a power of the people uh, in love with the people in your title. And what I thought was very unique was the idea of love with people. What exactly do you mean and why did you put that into the subtitle? I understand the power of the people in innovation, but in love with people is very unique in why to put that into your subtitle. Look, I even wanted that to be the title, people in love with people, the title. But then my publisher was like, I don't think people will really understand what this book is about. Right. We think it's a romantic novel. I was like, well, maybe you're right. That's why you're a publisher. I'm not. And, and, and look, if you read the book at the end, you understand that what it means because essentially that those three words synthesize everything. But if you don't, at the beginning, you're like, wow, why? Love, love, connected to innovation. Well, the synthesis is this. The people, the second people in the sentence, the people you love, essentially it refers to this idea of driving innovation in your companies. And by the way, driving your business in general, with human centricity, putting the needs and wants of people at the center of everything and seeing technology, business variables of any kind as enablers, amplifiers, eventually results, but not as the uh, key goals to reach. I, I, I can elaborate more in the book, you know, that's what I do. But I, even here, I can elaborate more. But to answer your question, the first people in the sentence is the people driving innovation, is the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the leaders, the CEOs, the entry-level employees that are changing these companies, driving these companies towards innovation. And love is somehow the synthesis of all the different skills of these people in love with people, of these innovators, what I call in the book, the unicorns. There are 24 different skills that define a unicorn, but love somehow summarize them all because uh, we talk about, you know, ability to dream, empathy, uh, kindness, optimism, curiosity, respect, uh, proactiveness and passion. You know, there are so many different things that if you need, if you're forced to find one word to define it all, is the love. And these the people in love with people and the kind of mindset and the, those kind of human beings are really what make the difference in these kind of companies today. And the reason why we are hearing more words like love and kindness and, and other soft skills in the podcast and the, and the conferences or the articles of, of the world is because the world is changing today. 
radically, completely. It's completely different than 20 years ago, not even 50 years ago, you know, than few years ago. And what is changing? One of the key drivers of this change is essentially the fact that today, anybody out there, any person, any of you listening to us right now, can come up with an idea, get easy access to funding through platforms like kickstarter.com or through the proliferation of investment funds out there looking for the next big idea for the next startup. There are more kids that get out of college dreaming of building a startup than dreaming like in the past of joining a big company or a big agency. So today is plausible. You, if you had that idea, they don't take you as much as crazy as eventually 20, 30 years ago. And then the cost of manufacturing to produce your idea is driven down by globalization and new technologies. You go straight to your to the people you want to serve. I don't like to call them users or consumers through the e-commerce platform to sell them stuff and through the social media platform to build your ecosystem of communication. So these were all the areas where the big companies in the past were building their big barriers to entry made of scale of production, distribution, and communication. Today, those barriers are crumbling down under the winds of globalization, new technologies, and digital platforms. And so essentially, you know, you know, anybody working in a big company knows that there are millions of people out there thinking about any little frustration or disappointment or dream of, of other people with the products and brands they use today. And they're thinking, okay, if there is a frustration, that's when I enter in the, in, in the business and compete with those products and brands. Uh, your product could be wonderful. The brand is amazing. The service is fantastic, but it's not sustainable. Well, the competitor will arrive and we make a wonderful product, brand and service, also sustainable. In the past, they couldn't because you are your huge barrier to entry. You couldn't get into Walmart or Target or you couldn't get the millions of dollars of, of budget of communication to be on the traditional media. Today, they can. And they can, it's not just the on, you know, the specific person, but it's the summary of multiple of these people that create problems of market share, but mostly problems of mind share and love share to these big brands. And so to close, also the big, now they need to innovate and they need to understand that they need to put the interest of people before anything else. Uh, this is talking about technology. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. And to I, that point, I think what you're redefining and shifting a paradigm, and you are representative of this to me, is what a leader is today. And what I see in front of me, someone who is so creative, uh, is an executive of one of the world's leading companies, is an intelligent follower, someone that's co-creating and innovating and designing for the people and the love of the people uh, with empathy and kindness and love as the forefront of that mind share, the heart share, and of course the hand share of what we're going to do to be productive, accessible, and gracious. Uh, not a company that's money-driven, but one that's a collective consciousness uh, that is creating change and providing value. Uh, and if you want to be a leader of the future, look at my friend, Maro, he is absolutely today's leader, honored by fortune as a 40 under 40 for a reason. Uh, incredible things, uh, even in the best dress category with GQ. <laughs> this man has style panache. 
but also compassion. And he is a true compassionate capitalist. Please, everybody, make sure we catch that book, The Human Side of Innovation. Let's check out the podcast. I'm really excited to do more with his podcast as well and share audience and share guests and be a part of it uh, because I want to know what it's like in his shoes. And I'm sure he's going to teach us what it's like in your shoes as well. Incredible. Mauro Porcini, thank you so much for joining me. This is David Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.